Welcome, gamers, to Basement Arcade Pause Menu, the show where we hit pause, sit back, and just chill. I'm your host, Ben Magnet, and today on the show, my guest is a little different. Now, if you've been following the show for quite a while, I've had friends on from my from the Twitterverse. I've had friends on I met at conventions. This time, however, if you've listened to not only Pause Menu, but the Fickner Podcast, you always hear me mention that I write for Old School Gamer Magazine. Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, the publisher, creator, and somehow my boss, Ryan Berger. <laughs> Ryan, I cannot believe it's taking me this long to ask you to come on the show. I have been wanting to ask you to come on, and finally, you are here. We're going to talk about the magazine, and at the same time, I'm trying to be like, how do I approach this? Because... In a weird way, you kind of are my boss. This is really yeah, weird. Yeah, I like, mean, it, 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 would, it, would, it would count more if I actually paid you, though, too. But yeah. <laughs> well, well, I mean, th- that's the way a lot of the, this magazine business works. I don't make any money on this. I literally have no employees in the corporation. And and the um, the tax people ask me why. It's like, well, I'll make some money off of it as you know, someday. But it's, yeah. not, it's not a real concern. We have a we have a we have a couple of people that are contractors. We have a couple of people that do some different stuff for us. I'm just having fun. This is a way of having a hobby that is supposed to pay for itself. Yeah, and I mean, we'll definitely get into like how I got into old school gamer, how we yeah. met, and and like later down later down the line. But right. good sir, every time I've had a, a brand new guest on the show, I always ask him this one question: How did you get into video games? First video game system, actually, let's go earlier. The first computer system I had that I played games on would have been a TI 99 4A. My dad would have gotten back in about what 80 81 or so mm-hmm. and had cartridges. The big games on it were Munchman, which was like Pac Man, mm-hmm. Parsec, which was like Defender. Mm-hmm. And I used to program on it, real basic command stuff, and save it off on a, on a cassette tape. So that dates me really bad. First video <laughs> game console is an even better story. I can literally remember being in Sears and my dad buying the Sears branded version of the Intellivision. Oh, okay. I mean, I can remember that real well. Cincinnati, Ohio, Sears, probably Sears and Roebuck back then. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember it. Um, so I go through and play with consoles and computers throughout the 80s, early 90s. Always used a computer a lot. Never really got too much into the heavy 8-bit, 16-bit generation, played with friends, went to arcades. I can remember going to Chuck E. Cheese for my like 12th birthday or whatever it was. But really, in the last 15 years, I've started going back and buying things that mom sold at the garage sales. You mm-hmm. know, We all had that. You move out of the house, mom says, she didn't need this stuff anymore, and sells it off. Well, I've been going back and buying in televisions. I have an Apple IIc uh, computer sitting right over here at my desk. I don't do anything with it except to look at it. I've got boxes, <laughs> oh, pool of radiance and Ultima and that kind of stuff, just because I want to remember the memories. Mm-hmm. And I've been having fun. And off of that, that's where Old School Gamer came from. Nice. Now, when you say television, because obviously in television, when I look, when I hear like the names of television, ColecoVision, Atari 2600, the Atari VCS, I... I'm weird. I like to like categorize like different eras of retro video gaming. And I put those type of systems in what I call the primordial era. Cause you know, it was very, it's they, you guys are those guys were the wild west in terms of video games. Yeah. The only thing that's really before those is the dedicated stuff, like the pongs. Mm-hmm. In fact, I mean, these are games that were written in 4k yeah. and through everything I've done, I've gotten to meet these people. I mean, at Portland, 
I've talked with Howard Scott Warsaw regularly. I know you said you met him and stuff. And getting to meet these people, um, Ken Williams from Sierra fame, um, the Bushnells, um, the current owner and CEO of Atari, I'm just having a freaking blast. I want to keep the party going. Yeah, when because last year at Portland Retro Gaming Expo, you both of us were there, and yeah, I did tell you I not only got to meet Howard Scott Warshaw, he was on the show prior beforehand, but I 100% agree with you. Just meeting these people, even especially when it comes to video games that were definitely long before my time. I mean, yeah. I I was born in 1990, so I was born right at the cusp of the 8-bit, 16-bit uh, um, transition. Yeah. So for me, it's like when you. So for me, it's like, yeah, my first system was a PlayStation, and I remember seeing a Super Nintendo. And <laughs> yeah, you, you saw Super Nintendos at a garage sale. Yeah, I mean, you come did. on, I, I was playing one in college. Come on, yeah. <laughs> let's see, let's see. I graduated high school in 1990. Oh, geez, that does date us as being a totally different generation, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but the cool thing about video games, especially when it comes to retro video games, it. I mean, yes, there is a bit of an age gap there. I mean, obviously between you and myself. But it's not a bad thing because I love learning about all this. It's one of the reasons why I was drawn to Old School Gamer Magazine in the first place is because I absolutely love learning about video game history. I have a bunch of books over here. Like eight of them are all just video game history books. Mm-hmm. And and the thing is, what we're trying to do and what those what those authors are doing, what you're doing through through your, your channel and all the stuff that's out there is we're just wanting to document this stuff. Mm-hmm. We're wanting to get it down on paper. I was talking with Alan Alcorn, okay? He was employee number three at Atari. He oh, made wow. Pong. He made Home Pong. And he was telling me stories and um, about Atari stuff that wasn't in books. It's like, Alan, write, write a biography. It's, oh, I don't want to do it. I it's like... We need to get these stories out there because the people that are one generation older than me that made these games are in their 70s. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm working with um, Walter Day, who is, who is heavily involved back in the score, scorekeeping stuff back in the 80s and everything, and, and Twin Galaxies and everything. He's 75 or so years old, and we're trying to get his autobiography down before he forgets some of these great things. Mm-hmm. So we got to document the history of the video game industry, just like how there's been so many people document movies and document other stuff. We need to do that with the video game industry. And I think there's there's enough good players out there that we're, we're getting it done before these stories go away. Yeah, I would definitely say, are you familiar with the Netflix documentary High Score by any yeah. chance? Yes. Yeah. Thankfully, documentaries like that, like High Score, even before that uh, game over the story of Atari, like how Atari mm-hmm. rose to power and, you know, the whole video game crash of 1983, E.T. and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. thankfully we are getting some decent video game documentaries but i do i 100 agree a lot of these a lot of the video games that we know and cherish today we would not have them if it weren't for the ataris the televisions the ColecoVisions, or the, the pongs or the space wars um at mit and those in the colleges back then so i 100 agree that we do need to get this stuff on paper now another question that i of course have i need to ask you is how did old school gamer magazine how did old school gamer magazine start what was the genesis pun intended what was the audio listeners i'm wearing my genesis hat what was the inspiration and what was year one like okay to rewind i start thinking about this after going to midwest gaming classic 
and classic game fest and a couple of the other shows just as an attendee that was really mm-hmm. excited about trying to find a niche on it. At the time I was publishing, my full-time job was publishing a trade magazine for mobile DJs, the guys who disc jockey, school dances, parties, weddings, that kind of stuff. I was doing a magazine for it at the time. I saw the magazine business was fading and becoming more niche-centric in that it's really, really detailed on stuff. I was also in the process of looking at uh, changing careers. So Mm -hmm. a bunch of things are kind of coalescing at the same time. I met up with a couple of people at that Austin show, Classic Game Fest, and uh, talked to them. And there was some magazines that had been attempted by people who had never done magazines before. Well, I had 15, 15 years experience publishing a magazine. I knew the basics of it. I knew it was a very changing industry that was fading, but I thought I could do something cool with it. Because of the vibe I saw at Classic Game Fest, Midwest Gaming Classic, and some swap shows, I knew that people were in the physical product. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's plenty of webcasts, blogs, all kinds of stuff out there. They're doing a great job with this kind of stuff, but there's no successful magazine that got beyond um, five, six years of access uh, of stuff out there. There was one from Georgia that um, video game trader that had last a while with stuff, mm-hmm. but it wasn't around anymore. Right. So I made arrangements to buy the rights to some of those past magazines so I could have a back catalog. I reached out to people I'd met at these shows, people people like yourself, if we had met seven years ago, that were out there asking questions, doing their own media, and said, would you like to write for such a magazine? First issue comes out. See, do I have a copy of the first issue back here? Yeah, I do. First two issues. First issue comes out. It's kind of thin. 46 pages. We have a little price guide in the back. We have some reviews. Text adventures and early gaming. We have some stuff. I mean, i i had to I had to go a lot further with stuff, and mm-hmm. it starts it starts coming together. I'm financing it with the disc jockey magazine, and kind of having fun with it. We start a Patreon for it. We get 100 subscribers or so. We get another 200 or so subscribers with, within the first year. Our first issue of the magazine, this issue right here, debuted at the Portland Retro Gaming Show. Oh, nice. We shipped we shipped 2,000 copies today. We ended up giving out four or 500, but I had to haul them back mm-hmm. um, because not everybody wanted it. It's like, it was confusing. It's like a print magazine in these days. It's like, well, this whole thing is about physical product. When you actually own a video game, what you have on your phone, you don't own. If they want to pull it anytime, it's gone. What you buy from the PlayStation 5 store or whatever could be gone. So we want to do some of those physical, like physical cartridges. I have a 450-piece collection of Atari 2600 games. I could have every single one of those games on one of these little, on one of these little memory cards and, and enough room to store a 1,000 copies of every one of those games. All these. It's not about just the game. It's about mm-hmm. celebrating it. Right. We're much more with it. So we put out that first year of magazines. It did okay. It was covering itself okay with stuff. We did it a couple more years in a row. We decided um, about a year and a half ago that we wanted to take it further, get bigger, get bigger with the magazine, higher quality content, higher mm-hmm. quality stuff. We do our first Kickstarter, mm-hmm. and then it rolls from there. So I've, I don't know how to describe it. I've really enjoyed this, and I want to keep it going. We'll talk about the, the other Kickstarter stuff later, but right. it's really about a passion. It's about my family business. 
um, we travel together. We have fun at these at these events, and we we do a lot. Um, and I I don't like doing these trips without them. I mean, I got my daughter Rachel coming with me um, on the next trip that I'm doing to Portland. Nice. I wouldn't I wouldn't do it much other ways. Yeah. Funny enough, I think that it was your daughter who I talked to when I first found out about Old School Gamer Magazine mm-hmm. at Retro City Festival in I want to say 2018, maybe 2019. That would have been my daughter Paige, my my older oh, okay. of the two daughters. Rachel's a young, quieter one, but okay. even even Paige, yeah, we were at Retro City, and we we're also at what was it called, Southern California, Southern mm-hmm. California, on the same day they had events there. You did you meet Billy Mitchell when you were there? Yeah, I did. Walter and stuff. Yeah, that that was Retro City. That was a yeah. fun event. I wish he had done more of those. So yeah, Ret- Retro City was absolutely amazing. Funny enough, one of the the biggest uh, the biggest hits because I went with one of my best friends. He and I just kept coming back to that 3D pong table. We thought that was the coolest thing ever. Oh, the the, the yeah. Have you ever watched any of the videos about how the mechanically works? No, I haven't. Oh, there's a ton of videos of actually seeing the belts moving the thing around. Oh, it's cool. Just, just oh, search for it and seeing how it actually works is really cool. I really wanted one of those for my house, but they weren't really geared for. It is one of those things that what if I ever were to win the lottery. Or if something were to happen, like say the the podcast, the channel, something just balloons and I suddenly am able to buy a giant house and I have a lot more of expendable income. It's like, yeah, I'm buying a Pong coffee table. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I've even told my fiance that I if if we ever get like a, a big large house, one room, I'm gonna turn into my own little basement arcade where yep. I have a bunch of arcade one-ups and my entire gaming setup. But yeah, those those uh those Atari tables, because I've seen some of them at like physical arcades too. And I'm just like, yeah. every time I see one, I'm like, I gotta play this. This is so cool. Yeah, it's just the, the way it shifts. And 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 that was made by someone who was a fan of the original technology. Mm-hmm. They wanted to do something that was more than just bing bong back and forth. Yeah. Um, I, my day job is I'm a computer teacher for high school. Mm-hmm. And in the coding class, after about a month and a half, actually, we're due to move into it literally probably next week right now, is I show them how the game Pong works mm-hmm. and how it's such a simple thing of if it collides with the top third of the bar, it goes at this angle. If it does, and it's all if then statements, something like that explaining the game, the most simple game out there is explained, you know, so the kids understand how a video game works and everything else is just built on that. I mean, okay. breakout built on Pong, um, Arkanoid built on breakout and it just all goes up the line from there. Oh, so, so you can essentially, I mean, it sounds like you can trace all of like, or not all, but like ninety percent of video games from Pong because Pong started that, and then that started that. A lot of it started from that. I mean, then there's mm-hmm. other stuff. I mean, you have the whole trace of three um, D shooters goes back to Doom right. and before that. But I mean, anything. A lot of those games all trace back to that. I mean, if you want to trace stories back, I mean, all these space shooters started out with Space Invaders. Then there's Galaxian off Space Invaders, and there's Galaga, and mm-hmm. then and then even even um, you know other like 1943 is based. Mm-hmm. I mean, all games have to have their beginnings. There are not a lot of really brand new concept games out there. It's all building on the past, right? Yeah, because what that's one of the reasons why I love indie. Why I love looking at newer indie games, especially um, today's day and age. That's where you'll see some um, of those new concepts. Yes. Yeah, they'll, well, not only do they have new concepts, but also they'll just 
they'll do something different or they'll bring something back. Like right now it's on my hard drive. I I need to play it. I've I'm still been playing tears of the kingdom. That game has taken over my entire life. I'm still not done yet. I'm over 200 some hours. I've been playing that damn thing since bloody March or whenever the game came out. And that's a sea of stars because it's a, it's a, an older style RPG. It's a turn-based RPG, but everyone like on Twitter or on social media, they've been, praising on how much it reminds them of classic games like Chrono Trigger, turn-based style RPGs like Final Fantasy. And even though it's like, this is technically a brand spanking new game, yes. it's older concepts, and I love that. And the, and those games owe themselves to the early NES games, which owe themselves back to Ultima and Wizardry and the mm-hmm. stuff from the 70s and 80s. I mean, everything, everything built. And I mean, I, I was just looking at there's a new company that acquired the rights to a bu- couple of those in television games. A German mm-hmm. company is reinventing some of those old school games. One's called Shark Shark. It's a very basic little game, but they made a cool thing off of it. Astro Smash is being brought back. And getting to meet some of these people is just amazing. It's, oh, yeah. just, it's, it's, it's fantastic. I mean, I love working within the community of people like yourself that we're all just trying to do the same thing. We're all just have, trying to have fun doing it. Oh yeah, and I'll, just like you said, it's also really fun to talk to people. Like like you said, there's people reinventing games. A few episodes back, and even a few months ago, at this year's SoCal Gaming Expo, I met a guy who essentially did a different remix on Pong. He called he called it Real Pong, where instead of just one paddle, you have two paddles on each side, and just changed up, just made it a little bit different, but it changed it up in a into a certain way where I was I was playing it for a good twenty minutes or so. Yeah, there, there, there's, there's neat stuff out there, and when people throw props to the past with, with throwbacks, stuff like that is great. The, for instance, the Atari Fifty um, series that came out, I think it was early, early last year or, or mm-hmm. early this year. Um, they showed some reinventions of some of the games, and I think they're fantastic. You know, it's I'm I, I don't know how to describe it. I'm just having a blast doing this, and. Yeah. Um, it lends some extra credibility to um, to what I do at, during the day. Um, mm-hmm. my, at my day job, literally on Friday, I had a gentleman named Carlos Piscina. He has worked for NetherRealm Studios, aka Mortal Kombat, since Mortal Kombat One. Okay, he actually was Raiden in Mortal Kombat One, digitized in. His brother, um, Daniel Piscina, um, was. Um, um, what's his name? Johnny Cage and a couple of the other characters. But he went on to work for NetherRealm Studios. He talked to the kids about what you need. You know, you don't have to just be a programmer geek to do stuff. You can do graphics work, you do all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. He started out as the guy that digitized in the Kung Fu moves, cleaned up the graphics, and made it work on 8-bit. He retired last year as they were working on the new Mortal Kombat 1. He was mm-hmm. able to tell us all kinds of neat little stories about that kind of stuff. And the kids loved it. It's like, is that really? It's like, yeah. You know, it's just fun. <laughs> it's like it's like yeah, that that was me. I did that. It's like he pulls up a like an old screenshot of of Radiance and Scorpion fighting. He's like, yeah, you see that? That's me. I yeah. I'm that guy. I sh- I showed a um history video the the day before off of a YouTube channel. I paused it and I said, that guy's going to be on here tomorrow. Some of the kids thought he was actually going to show up, which would have been amazing. But it's like that's the guy that's going to be here and doing that connection for people. The vast majority of these people from the past are thrilled to celebrate um, mm-hmm. what we're excited about. These people that, that make appearances at the shows. The first Portland show, David Crane walked up to my booth. 
I'm having this first magazine, David Crane, who made Pitfall and all the things and created Activision, the first third party publisher, came up and introduced himself to me. And I just, my mouth dropped. I wanted to go find a copy of Pitfall to have him autograph it. And, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, that was, I remember exactly where I was because um, I figured, because I'm, I'm a very small podcast. I, I, I know I get like maybe a few hundred downloads, maybe here or here or there. I don't really look at the metrics because I don't want to be depressed. Well, but, but you're having fun. Exactly. And one day I was like, you know what? I'm just going to ask him. So I'm going to just shoot a message out to Howard Scott Warsha. He has a, an email that's public, that mm-hmm. that's, you know, public access. I'm like, all right, cool. I'll just let him know what I'm about. I'll just let him know what I just want to talk to him. It could be very long, very short, whatever. And I'll just, I'll, if he answers, cool. If he doesn't answer, well, you know what? I shot my shot and I'll just let it go. No harm, no foul. Uh, then one of my, uh, my, he's kind of like my executive producer in a way. He's also a co-host on one of my other shows. He messages me. He's like, hey, you got a response. And then he adds a smiley face in the text message. And I'm like, what? Go to the email. And he's like, yeah, I'd love to talk about this. This is great. And he came on the show. We talked about. Yars, I got him to sign my copy of ET. I got him to sign my copy Yars Revenge. I bought a CIB Yars Revenge specifically before I went to PRGA to meet him in person. I'm like, and I am his, not. His book is fantastic. Yeah, it I is. assume you read it. Mm-hmm. Here's a sales pitch for his book. It's just, it has the right amount of geek factor that tickles my mind as the stuff I don't know about, but I understand enough of it to mm-hmm. get it. Yeah, he, he was great. Warren Davis from Cubert fame. Same kind of story. Neat stories, neat stuff that's out there. Oh, yeah. And even when earlier you were talking about how um, the gentleman who played Radian is like, you don't have to be a hardcore computer geek. Once again, about a, a, a year or a year and a half or so ago, um, I had a the head of marketing over at Yacht Club Games, Celia Schilling. She was on the show and she was talking. was like, yeah, I mean, if you can code, that's cool. But if you want to account, if you're an accountant, Video game companies hire accountants. It's not that, I mean, it's, it's difficult, but it, there's <laughs> other things to do besides just being good with computers. Yeah, this is, this is a great industry uh, to, to have fun in. I retired yeah. from the from the disc jockey industry after doing all the stuff with that. And the DJ industry was enjoyable, but there's also a lot of egos out of check because by the nature of a mobile DJ, you have mm-hmm. to be in a command of crowd to be on stage and do that kind of stuff. And that was right. tough. That was that was tough. There's still some egos and people that are, that are in this industry, but the vast majority of the people are very cool to sit and talk to. Oh yeah, and just to just to hear the stories or hear the and hear the history of not only our favorite games but what happened. Even I never would have thought because I never did marketing when I was in college. I was in theater and I was doing radio. Okay. So that my degree is in radio from Cal State Northridge. That's what my degree is in. And I bought a, the book uh, Console War by Blake Jake Harris. And that was the and first I was like, I'm probably not going to like this because when I would read, I would read, you know, fiction, fantasy, science fiction, you know, the fun stuff. But then when I finally started reading it and getting into like the nitty gritty of the console war between Sega and Nintendo and that it wasn't just the advertisers like Genesis does with Nintendo. It wasn't just that. It was also the market share. It was also marketing tactics and then it was like how good are the games what goes on and then of course the whole senate hearing stuff that i never knew about yeah well, you're, I, you're a little bit young at that point but yeah yeah i mean i would tell my friends and other video gamers that i was i am a veteran of the console war but i joined the war 
at the very tail end because then PlayStation was a thing. And my first ever home console was a PlayStation. Another book, by the way, to give a plug to of another nice guy to talk to, John Romero. Oh, first life in first person. I've traded emails with him, never talked to him, trade emails with him. Um, there's another there's another book. I'll work on getting him involved with stuff in the magazine, and I'll see if I can get through your bone and see if we can get him to come on you. John Romero. Iron. So there if there's only one interaction I could have with John Romero, it would be to tell him how when I was a small child, and I'm talking that I was a first grader slash kindergartner. No, I was in kindergarten when this when right. this happened. My dad comes home from work with a copy of Doom, puts it on our Windows 95 PC. He calls my brother and myself, my brother who is in preschool, by the way, and he is showing us Doom. We get a kindergartner and a preschooler get hooked <laughs> on playing Doom. What a game. A game that, looking back on it nowadays, I should have never been within 100 feet of. But it was one of the most it's one of those memories that I will cherish for the rest of my life because just hearing the do 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 just hearing that opening <laughs> just hearing that opening is now seared into my mind. And then of course Doom 2016 comes out and I am just over the moon because I'm like, oh my god, I love this. And yeah, Doom has had a huge resurgence. But yeah, if I could ever talk to John Romero, it would be to tell him for thank you to thank him for making not only an amazing FPS game but also for giving me this amazing memory, not only with me, but with my father and my mom, because oh, they would he, sit behind us watching us play Doom. Um, buy his book off Amazon. Get that book and read the book. You'd enjoy it. I definitely, definitely will add that to the list, because right now I'm reading a whole bunch of other stuff, because someone, this guy, gave me a pretty big assignment that I'm working on. Yeah, it, it, it was, yeah, it was, it was a big piece. Well, let, let, let's give people a little bit of a tease what we're doing for that next issue. That, that oh, yeah. Part of. So uh, tell, tell us a little bit about what you're working on. Well, right now, um, so for the November issue of – November issue, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so for the no- November issue of Old School Gamer Magazine, I am working on two big pieces. One of them – actually, I have a copy of a book right here. It's not one of the ones I'm reading, but it's, it's from Boss Fight Books. I am writing a big cover – a big story or not a story, but a interview on them and essentially what these books are about. Cause this one that I'm holding up audio listeners is final fantasy five by uh, Chris Kohler. And the cool thing about boss fight is boss fight publishes books that are essentially documentary style books, all about video games. And fun fact, I have one of the, the gentlemen working at boss fight who he is the next guest on the show. Cool. I'm re- at the time of this recording, I'm recording with him tomorrow. So there's gonna so keep an eye yeah, out for that. There's a whole nice series of books. I first saw that at the Portland show, and I picked up a couple of them there because they're 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 quick, simple, simpler to read kind of books. The way they the way they lay stuff out is fantastic, and um, that's a cool series. So, and then the the other piece you're working on for me, I am working on talking to a whole bunch of indiv- of indie video game developers who make retro inspired games and current retro games, meaning that you can meaning that these are games that are indie inspired i.e like not the not the actual developers but something like sea of stars something that is retro inspired but came out in today's day and age and also who would make actual uh cartridges for these older systems which is another i I actually did a show with another gentleman a few episodes back who made this game called um oh god what was it it was copper something it wasn't copperhead but he 
designed and created an NES game, made NES cartridges in the year 2022, and you could take buy and he was selling them at old school at uh, not old school game, old school gaming magazine expo. My gosh, he was selling them at SoCal Gaming Expo. Yeah, and it was like you made these cartridges in now. There are there are have- people that are doing all kinds of games. I mean. Uh, the largest publisher of of eight bit games, Atari Age, just got bought out by Atari, mm-hmm. the original one that's doing it, and they've been really they have 30, 40 releases every year of retro games on old school consoles, um, and then there's people like uh, Premium Edition Games that are doing they're taking digital develop stuff and putting them out on physical product. Um, yeah, there's cool stuff on that. So yeah, you. You literally have the lead story on on that kind of stuff with us. We're working on another piece. I have some other people doing stuff on Broaderbund, which would mm-hmm. be more before your time. You've heard of Mist. I know you've heard of Mist. Oh, yeah. I've heard of Mist. Okay. You've heard of Where in the World is Carmen San Diego. Oh, I loved that okay. game. I, then, was, it, I would and that, never And that's the later stuff that's held on. We're talking print shop. We're talking Karotica. We're talking stuff back on the 8-bit computers before you were born of the stuff and that's the other um article the other set in this one that we're doing a a multi-part piece on some of that Mm -hmm. so um we've done what 30 that's issue number 37 done 37 issues there's always a bit of a theme to the issue i mean Mm -hmm. um i have a i have a wall of posters up again on my room which i gotta send you the other posters on i know you've got a lot of them but each of them if i look at them there was a there's um rpgs there's all the Donkey Kong related platformers, there's shooters, that kind of stuff. We're working on what we want to do with the next couple issues. So, if any of your um, uh, listeners or subscribers have ideas, um, take them down. I may not, I may not check the feed on this stuff. So, take them down and send them to me. We're very open to ideas. Yeah. Um, we're having a passion for this, and this magazine is done regularly with the involvement of about two dozen people on every issue that goes out the door. There's bloggers, there's all kinds of different stuff with it. But really, it's a passion project for, yeah. for me and my family and my circle of friends. Yeah, not not only that, but it was because when I because when I, I when I got my like my free issue of old school gamer magazine, it was a convention special issue from Retro City. Mm-hmm. I was flipping through it and I was like, oh yeah, this is cool. And I I I flipped through that thing a good like I don't know five ten ish times until I see a little blurb I want to say near the front of the magazine is like hey if you're interested send us an email and I knew I knew I wanted to do something with video games at that point and then I'm like you know what I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go ahead and shoot my shot because I always I was that weird kid in high school and in college and even in elementary school where our teachers when they said hey we're giving you a writing assignment the rest of the class would go. Ugh. I would go, I would be like, bring it on. <laughs> like, come I yeah. Yeah, loved yeah. writing essays. I loved writing stories. I just love, I, I like when the teacher gave us the thing, was like, Hey, write about a thing or make a like research a topic, go ham on it. Those were always my favorite ones because to yeah. me, it's like, I get to do what I want and learn about what I want. Yeah, and, and, and that's what I want to find people that are passionate about stuff. Yes. There's a science story. like, I gave you this one because I knew you could handle a bunch of different kinds of stuff. But there's other people that come to me. There's one guy um, here in Des Moines, uh, Frank, that's a friend of mine that has a passion just for RPGs, going mm-hmm. back to the JRPG scene, going through all that kind of stuff. And if I need, if I need something, I will contact him and say, 
I want you to go after this. There's other people that are only into pinball. There's other people that have different things, but then there's people like yourself that um, will sign up, you know, will send out other pieces too. So if you do have an interest in that, get a hold of me through Ben or just hit me up directly. And um, we want to have people, we want to have people, more people blogging on our site, like you've done some of too. And yeah. just talk about small topics. If something's just on your mind and it interests you in video games, let's talk about it. Yeah. Writing for the blog is definitely something I need to get back into. Unfortunately, life just takes over. Yeah. But even like writing for, not only writing for Old School Gamer, I could not tell you how elated I was that after I wrote, well, when I started blogging, because I think I was blogging for you guys. And and also, full disclosure, we have links to my blogs on um, on the Fake Nerd Podcast website, essentially kind of like a portfolio in a way. So you can read all my old work and mm-hmm. and their, their links up there. And just knowledge for writing with you guys, I found something that I truly love doing, which is writing about video games. Mm-hmm. It is something that brings me joy. It's something that I absolutely love doing and talking. And not only was I able to not only get published through you guys, it led me to other places where my work is also getting published. Where yeah. it's one of those things, it's like, oh my god, this is this is amazing. And first of all, I have you to thank for that. So thank you for giving me not only just an opportunity, but a shot to write for you and and to let people reward my work, but also just for being a cool guy and just be like, Hey, you like talking video games. Here's an outlet for that. Have fun. We have fun. We have fun. Yeah. So going back into old school gamer magazine, Mm -hmm. um, you were a publisher. What was, is there an article that you've written for the magazine that you can think of that the second the idea came into your brain, you're like, I got to write this. I got to work on this. I don't do as much of the writing as I did with the first couple issues. I mm-hmm. mean, I'll write stuff, reviews of books or events or places I go to. Um, best example I can give is is meeting Al Alcorn at California Extreme event uh, about three weeks ago. In that, I had no idea he did anything beyond Pong. Mm-hmm. To create that, yeah, I keep on going back to Pong the whole time. But to create something like that, like an Albert Einstein did something, or Thomas Edison did something, you know, to have one big thing in there that changed the world is great. But I found out more stuff that he had done, mm-hmm. and other things beyond. He called himself a industry disruptor, mm. and that's what he did. He, in some form, invented uh, video slot machines. What would have, would have had no idea. He was the first person to work with what's the name Win that owns the, the Win Hotels to make really? video slot machines, like in the '90s or, or early zeros, of realizing that people went gambling for the entertainment, not just for the possible winnings. He well, did some stuff. He did things like that. He brought that stuff in the conversation, and I have since, literally three or four days ago, did a full hour and a half long interview with him. That I've got to pull stuff out like that. It's like. Finding out those things that, that aren't anywhere. I went and looked at it. It's like, yeah, there's there's sparse mentions of him doing that in other places. Um, let's see. What else has hit me? Um, right. I, I just want to put a pin in that for a second because I am in absolute shock and awe. that Because at the time of this recording, I'm going to be going to Las Vegas. And I just came from Las Vegas a few weeks ago. And obviously, you go to Las Vegas, you go to any of the casinos, you just constantly hear the constant ding, 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 ding of the of the slot machines and stuff. And they're all video stuff now. Those are all sound yeah. effects. Those aren't actually machine doing anything. That's sound effects. Yeah. Nowadays. So now when I go to Vegas and I see a video slot machine, I'm going to think, wow, 
the guy who created Pong helped create that. Yeah. That um, is a that is a, awesome. He was a disruptor that um they made some kind of a technology that allowed they put cell phones for people for when they're watching TV. You know how the Nielsen ratings is done by people for their little books or keeping track of what mm-hmm. TV shows they watch. They were doing something with an early version of what's that software that, that you can uh, hold up hold up your phone to a song and it'll say what song is being played. Um, oh, um, audio detection or something like that? Yeah, that automatic stuff. They were using that off of people's phones that they gave them for free to keep track of what people are watching on television to to uh, do ratings. Oh. Just different things. So, I mean, it's it's finding out these stories that aren't there you know, the things, I mean, everybody knows the story of how this happened and that happened and Donkey, you know, and Mario was invented off of this and, and but finding something deeper about things, getting mm-hmm. to know people and what the, what their passions were on things. Um, yeah, I don't have, I don't have as much of that. I'll find out some of these cool things and then I'll set loose one of you guys after it. Yeah. <laughs> is, is, is what I, do. I just don't have the time to oh, write yeah. stuff i will be the filler writer in the end if something needs to be done yeah well i mean you are a pub you are the you are like the yeah. publisher you're the guy who yeah. wrangles us all you're you're um you're like okay guys we got stuff going on like what are yeah. the, what are the most it, interesting oh, it was sorry. just a big yeah it's a big coordination effort it's like wrangling cats yeah <laughs> yeah as someone who tried to wrangle his own cat earlier today i 100 percent agree <laughs> and that's a cat singular multiple cats yikes um okay you're starting to say Oh no! I was gonna say because one of the uh, assignments that you asked me to do most recently—I think one of my most recent assignments—was on Absolute Entertainment, which mm-hmm. is a game company that I've I've heard of, or at least I didn't have really any major recollection of. And ever since I wrote that piece, like I found out how it's like how these guys came from Activision. They essentially started the exact same way Activision did, and they create, call themselves Absolute to stick it to Activision. Yeah, it would show up before uh, Activision and Atari. It was like essentially it was a group of people sticking it to act to Atari and then a different group of people sticking it to Activision, which what to me was like, huh, okay. And now and now I am noticing their games everywhere. I would yeah. just I would be they, at they a, had a real rich. thing going in the early '80s and and '90s with stuff, mm-hmm. and then those same people went on after they had done their time and retired from stuff. Are now a company called Audacity Games, and they're making new releases for the 2600. Dan and Gary Kitchen, who I think you talked to one or two of them, along with David Crane, formed Audacity and are selling new games for the Atari 2600. <laughs> so it's like wow. I, I guess they just get bored in their retirement while do something different. Yeah, and of course now, not only that, the Atari Twenty Six Hundred Plus is coming out soon, and that's like, hey, you got your old Atari cartridges? Plug them in. You want new ones? Plug them in. They're gonna I'm, work. I'm, I'm playing with one of those in two weeks from right now, man. They will have them in Portland. I want to see how it is because I I told my friends that if I never play Atari because I have Atari Twenty Six Hundred carts. I have them for collector's reasons. I have them because, you know, uh, one of them, two of them are signed by the guy who made them. And I'm like, I'm never letting go of these. Yeah. But now there's a way for me to actually play them on an HDMI TV and it's going to look good. I'm like, it's, it's going to look good. I'm also been looking at the thing coming out from my arcade. Um, 
LA-based company that they're putting on an Atari uh, unit with stuff. I saw a review on it on a, a YouTube channel. I'll be getting a whole lot of those next week and probably seeing it at the show. That looks like some really neat hardware. Things have gone way beyond the little plug-and-play um, oh, yeah. um, flashbacks that you buy mm-hmm. for 25 bucks a Dollar Tree or Dollar General, I guess it would be. Um, they've gone way beyond that, and they're, they're doing some neat stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, thankfully, the technology has gotten a lot better because my fiance, during our first anniversary of us just being together, she got me an at games Genesis. Now, this was long before the um, the Sega Genesis mini came yeah, out. Yeah. So, you guys have been together a long time, haven't you? Is that, is that what I remember seeing? Yeah, we've she. Yep. We just got engaged this year. We've been together for nine years. OK, that's cool. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. So, and so when she got me that Genesis, I was like, oh, this is cool. But then, of course. I didn't know that what at games was. I plugged it in. I was like, hmm, that sound though. But of course we didn't know. We had no idea. And, and you were paying 35 bucks for it. I mean, yeah, for, it was for, cheap. This new thing I was gonna I was gonna say is uh Atari Game Station Pro we just pulled up. They're doing uh, by my arcade, that's gonna be something cool, which I'll see if I can get a hold of one of those. And you're in you're in LA. Maybe I maybe mm-hmm. you can stop by and pick it up from them. I'll see if I see if we get some from someone who did not live through the Atari generation of gaming and see how you can celebrate that stuff. Yeah, I mean the Atari age, like essentially the Atari the promote the primordial age of gaming or the primordial era of video games is always something that completely fascinates me. Now, I will not lie, my favorite era of video games is 16 and 32, and yeah. even 64, because you know that's when I was like my my very first memory of even playing a video game was playing a Sonic the Hedgehog 2 at my next door neighbor's house. My favorite game of all time was Sonic CD. I yes. absolutely love that art style. Yes. But but even looking back at, because I'm thankful that now I'm at the age of, I can appreciate the older stuff, even the older stuff long before my time. Like if I want to play adventure or even when I finally got to play Yars Revenge for the first time at PRGE last year, while yes, graphically, it is a very basic looking video game. But design wise, I was surprised on how much fun I was playing Yars Revenge. I mean, all credit goes to Howard Scott Walshaw. He was the one who created the game. But as I was playing it, because I never played Yars before, I never had access to Yars before. Even though I had a cartridge, I don't have anything that could play it properly. <laughs> but I'm sitting there playing Yars and I'm like, this is really fun. Well, the whole I'm, concept back then with Atari was easy to play, difficult to master. Uh-huh. Yes, they were simple games, but they got hard really fast. Yeah, they did. I think I I think I got to like level three. I don't even know if I did get to level three. I, I'm not 100% sure. Yeah. But I was just having an absolute blast playing Yars Revenge. And now I've learned about Yars Revenge. Like I know how Yars is actually Ray backwards and how he named the main character after Ray Kazar and all this other stuff and yeah, you, it was you, you do know that the space field going in between there is actual code from the game i did not know that you know you know the random space field that's in between there yeah yeah yeah, yeah. actually just playing code cool. like hexadecimal code they're just wow. little things so well how about that that's really that's actually really cool and i just thought it was just something there so you don't so didn't make it easier so you can go blast the big alien at the at the <laughs> other side of the screen yeah but even with playing a game like Yars Revenge and how, yes, like you said, sim- simple to play, hard to master, even with Tetris, like when Tetris first came out. Sim- easy to understand, hard to master, especially to a little kid who doesn't really understand what's going on and he just sees flying blocks and goes, ooh, blocks! 
and, and I assume you watch a little bit of the classic Tetris World Championship while you're in Portland last time with the people doing that at the 250th yeah. level, and you barely see the piece on the screen. It's already dropped. Yeah. Yeah. And it's to master. Um, I don't think I've ever felt emasculated quicker. quicker Because I yeah, would and, consider... And, and they're, they're 15-year-old kids that were kicking yeah. butt off. Yeah. So. It was cool to see young people up on that stage playing. It was really awesome. Because when you hear yeah. classic Tetris Championship, you think it's a bunch of... You know, no offense, older gener like people from the older generation, yeah. people who grew up playing this those games back in the eighties, seventies, nineties, whatever. Mm -hmm. And to see younger kids in their teens and twenties, I'm like, oh, that's really cool because people still have fun with these games. But the way they were playing, and I would consider well, myself hold, like they hold it kind of sideways like this. Or, yeah, yeah. And they were hyper roll. They were, I think, the technique is called hyper rolling. On uh, another yeah. friend of the show, he told me what the, the exact terminology of it. But just seeing how quickly these they were going down and working, I'm just sitting there going, I thought I was a decent Tetris player. Nope, I'm just gonna go that way. I don't belong. <laughs> it was one of those things where like I it's kind of like that Sesame Street thing of like one of these people just doesn't belong here. That's me. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> well, yeah. what, what, what else should we talk about? Oh uh, well, we, let's talk about that Kickstarter because you mentioned the Kickstarter okay. earlier. So we had a so Old School Gamer Magazine has had a successful Kickstarter prior, and we are now in another one. The yeah. link to that Kickstarter will be in the description down below. That's so right. tell us some more about the, about well, Kickstarter two in a, in okay. a sense. Last year we wanted to make a step up with the magazine, mm -hmm. and to do that we took the price of the magazine up from it was like five ninety five to eleven ninety five. As a result of the Kickstarter, mm -hmm. we needed funding to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. We needed to see that there was backing from the retro gaming community that wanted us to do that. And it came together. We raised 30 some thousand dollars to do it. That is only of our subscribers. We brought in 150 subscribers. There's a lot of people that donated much more than just a subscription to us because right. they won't see a driven support. And we've already got a good handful of people doing that this year. We have our reader advisory board. You pay $175, you get two subscriptions, you get a t-shirt, you get some other cool swag and you get a voice in there formalized through a chat group. Mm -hmm. Then we have some other higher level packages that include a, um, a subscription forever. As long as we're still around, you have a subscription forever. We do all this to attract attention. That's what Kickstarter really is. If yeah. you haven't seen it, familiar with it, Kickstarter is a way of getting something going, making sure the community is interested in what you're doing, and it's a marketing angle. So we only bring in about a fourth of our subscribers off of Kickstarter each year, but it's a way to um, make commitments for new things we want to do, mm -hmm. um, add more to the mix of what we are, and literally we'll probably be doing these Kickstarters every year um, because some people like to subscribe that way. Some people like to subscribe to us via Patreon. We literally have 35 subscribers through Patreon. Some people wanted just the digital version, especially if they're overseas. They have a digital subscription. Um, we want to be able to offer the magazine every way we can because we want to get magazines out there. Mm -hmm. um, the Kickstarter launched a couple weeks ago, uh, about two weeks ago. It's going okay, not as fast as I wanted to. So I'm out here talking to other friends, you know, people like yourself, and getting the word out about it. And um, it wraps up literally the Monday after the Portland Retro Gaming Show. Oh, so it's that way so I can make an extra push at the show, talk to a couple more players, and see if they're interested in helping us out with things. It's just a way of attracting a little bit of extra attention. Um, in a weird way, it's sort of like the telethons that every year 
public radio does or, mm-hmm. or some Christian radio station you listen to does or something like that. It's an extra way of every year saying, yes, we're here. We're continuing to do even more with it. Will you please bless us with your involvement? On Pledge drives. Yeah. I, yeah. I, when I was uh, in college, I worked, I was, one of my classes was doing an internship at um, 88.5 KCSN. And when I was like interning for them, they're like, Hey, just FYI, pledge drive is coming up pledge drive weekend. We got like all hands on deck. We're going to be working hard and working for this. I'm like, all right. And I was there helping man the phones, writing down information from people who pledged like X amount of dollars. So yeah, I am all hundred percent familiar with that. So, so that's, that's what we're doing um, with mm-hmm. things. Um, our feature in some form depends on where we want to go, depending on where the backing is with this thing. We could go down to just four issues a year. We could um, go um, keep with the six to add more pages to the magazine. There, we're making decisions based on what the, what happens with this. And does the industry want us to uh, continue doing what we're doing? Are they happy with what we're doing? So, I mean, I'm totally biased because, A, I write for you guys, but, yeah, I'm happy with what we're doing. I love what we're doing. I love yeah. the fact that I get to do this. Yeah, and, and I want to keep it going, too. But at the same time, I've been personally financing this, and mm-hmm. it has been a losing effort for the last six years financially. Right. I can't keep going. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't mind it just breaking even, and that's that's mm-hmm. my whole goal is to break even with this. I haven't pulled a paycheck off this yet. My benefit to it is I've been able to vacation with my family, taking them to these gamer cons and make them work so it's kind of like a combination of fun and not fun so yeah. uh, me and me and my youngest that are going to portland are getting there at 10 o'clock in the morning on friday we're gonna have fun play video games and then on saturday we work on sunday we, we we fly back it's mm-hmm. a little trip with with my kids i love doing those so yeah. that's why i'm doing it because it's a nice family fun thing yeah and even when when I went to Portland last year, it, I told my fiance, it's like, Hey, I'm going, she's like, Oh, you're going to this game convention. I was like, yeah, it's to get people on the podcast to write stuff for magazines for you, for you and for, a, and for the others I do. And essentially it's just a, it was a working vacation, but it was like the best yeah. working vacation I ever had. Yeah. We, we, we have, we have fun doing this. I just, I just want to see um, more of the faith that people have in, in our group of people that are putting this together. So yeah. And spread also, the word around about it. It, it wraps mm-hmm. up. Um, as of the time we're doing this, uh, what, what it's going to probably have like two more weeks left, uh, by the time this gets out to the world. Um, but jump on as quick as you can, uh, just search on Kickstarter or work or click on the link that he's going to put right below and, um, look for old school gamer magazine. We'd appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. And I, and to try to, to try to like bring some form of motivation because as someone who is a big fan of physical media, mm-hmm. I will always love holding up like. One of the things I love about not only just writing about this magazine, but the fact that this magazine and a few other video game magazines still exist in today's day and age is that they are physical. Because even though I did grow up at the dawn of the internet, you know, a lot of things were coming out online. People yeah, were still Nintendo with, Power and EGM and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Nintendo Power, the PlayStation magazine that my my family subscribed to where we would get demo discs every month. Those were like the coolest things ever. And ha- the fact that there are still even for a while, I was subscribed to the physical Game Informer magazine for a while, for a good long while, because it's like, here is a, yes, Nintendo Power doesn't exist anymore. It sucks, but oh well. Um, I'm bummed that I never got any Sega Visions issues, because I was a big Sega kid as when I was young, obviously. Mm-hmm. And the fact that there are still magazines, especially this one, 
because even though you like you said it is a very niche topic old school gamer magazine is a niche of a niche of, like i tell my friends it's niche of a niche of a niche but there's still so much good in there you always will find really cool tidbits that you never knew like i was taught when i was writing about the um the what you call it, absolute entertainment I was like, I never knew about this. Or even when I was researching NES Maker and Mystic Searches, I was like, this guy, this gentleman literally had this idea when he was a kid, and it finally is coming to fruition nowadays. Yeah. You always find these great stories, these great little tidbits about video games that you might have never known or found out through other channels. And I think that this is a de- – so, yes, definitely. I am kind of tuning my own horn here because I love writing for you guys, but also – Let's keep this thing alive. This is a great. This this is a great word, I mean, you can make a commitment as low well as $20 a year to the magazine. You get access to the digital magazine, the current issues when they come out, all of our back issues. So, I mean, if you have the digital, you get access to all that kind of stuff. We've had some people just throw us five, 10 bucks. That's great. Um, the biggest thing that everybody can do that if you already know about us is spread the word among your friends. Um, mm-hmm. I want to get thousands of copies of this magazine out there for people. Yeah, definitely. I would, I mean, of course, I have I have my t- my three biggest fans, my fiance and my parents, who always love, who will try to buy everything I write. But at the same, t- <laughs> but at this, but at the same time, getting this out there to people is it's always nice to see them like pick up a magazine and like, oh hey, I learned about this really cool thing, and I think that's really cool. Yep, we're doing good. That that we are. So, anyways, uh, Ryan, thank you so much for coming on. Thank cool. you so much for, but also thank you so much for giving me a chance to write for the magazine. <laughs> I guess well, that's a, just, that's just keep on spreading the word, keep on writing, and I'll see you at a con uh, probably sometime early next year. Yep. So you are going to be at Portland Retro Gaming Expo this year, which is October. I'm looking at my calendar, but my calendar is still stuck on September. I haven't switched it over yet. It's like 14, 15 neighborhoods, something like that. About about two weeks from this weekend, mm-hmm. um, I'll be at KC Retro. I'll be at a show in Columbus, Ohio, the Torg Expo coming up. Um, and the next year, Midwest Gaming Classic, Classic Game Fest, Long Island Retro. Um, oh, we do about 25 of these shows a year. So. All the fun stuff, all yeah. the good ones. And and hopefully, uh, is there, I, I always forget, but is there is some social media for Old School Gamer, right? There's some basic stuff out there I need to work okay. on a little bit more, but if, ultimately, if someone wants to get a hold of me, RB, just my initials at oldschoolgamer.com, or just um, jump on the website, you can find me pretty quick there. And of course, the website is oldschoolgamermagazine.com. Yep. Um, that will, of course, be linked down below. And if you can find me at bedbang 27 Definitely scroll a while through my Twitter page for listeners who haven't yet, because I used to I posted all almost all my blog stuff like when I was actually being active on Twitter. Mm-hmm. They're there, or even just go to the Fickner Podcast website because if you go to my blog, a bunch like I think uh, Brandon said he put all my posts from OSG that are accessible. Everything's there. There, everything, cool. Cool. everything is there. So yeah, uh, Ryan, thank you so much. Uh, you have a great time at Portland Retro Gaming Expo. I'm really bummed. I'm not going to be there. Let's, like, let's plan on next year. You have good reason, family and, yeah, and, yeah. and stuff. Next year, they'll have the next dates year. out soon. Come meet Ben at the Portland Retro Gaming Show at the Old School Gamer booth. Yeah, hopefully another expo too, because I've been wanting to go a little east. Because I, like I said, I live in California. I want to go eastward to some of these conventions. I want to go somewhere out east and go see look at Midwest Gaming Classic. That's one of my favorites, Milwaukee. Oh. And- Right. Oh, that would that would be awesome to go to. All right, but anyways, yes, check out if you're going to Portland Retro Gaming Expo, check out Ryan, check out the website, go check out the Kickstarter. Thank you again, Ryan, and until next time, everyone, unpause.